I just realized I forgot to do the outro out of the intro. Well, shocking. Shocking that we're half here. half of it. And that Roya is not prepared. Oh my god, shut up. What else? By the way, what oh, happened wow. last week? What is that voice? What happened last week, Roya? Oh, well, so usually <laughs> uh, when you send me your audio, you put some sort of funny name on it, but you didn't this time. I mean, what, and then what was funny about then, last week? No, but like normally you do something. And I also had mine titled the same. Mm. And so I uploaded your audio instead of the joint audio. And then luckily Jordan let me know uh, and I was able to change it. But then Spotify decided to be an asshole and not change it. So Apple Podcasts and Patreon had it correct, the updated one. Oh. And then Spotify, which is our, our biggest or second biggest area of distribution, was just like, no, we're just going to keep the regular one. So then I had to take Jeez. the whole episode down and re-upload it. So sorry. So if the corrected heard. one is there. Sorry if you heard just me last week. <laughs> yeah. I was there. I just, she was just didn't upload the right one. Yeah. The um, well, last week was rough. Yeah, that was. That was one of the funniest mistakes I've had. We got a uh, Q&A or like, what do you think about this episode on it? Even though I thought I turned it off. Um, but we, <laughs> it was just like, uh, I think someone forgot to put Roya in there. LOL. Love <laughs> that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Roya guy. forgot to put Roya in there. <laughs> yeah. Roya <laughs> forgot to put Roya in there. That's my bad. Yep. But like, well, the thing was too, that normally there's a more significant amount of time taken out of the episodes from me like just editing the spaces and things like that and this one only had like 10 minutes so it was like an hour or an hour and 11 minutes yeah and so it looked the same length too and i was like it just everything lined up for me to not realize i was in the the wrong section we did good last week except for all those bad things that happened afterwards yeah yeah I was like, "What all? What all bad things? Just the one, right? Was yeah. it more? Were there well, more bad things?" I just meant the the uh, the stacking of you having to fix it, and then Spotify being like, "Actually, but yeah." And then, and I don't know why. I don't know why Spotify did because I upload it the the Anchor, website that we use, Spotify, which is now Spotify, yep. and they updated Apple Podcasts, yep. which is through the Spotify Anchor like podcasts for spotify or whatever they call it now yeah so i'm like so why doesn't i even refreshed my spotify app i like closed out of it reopened it did all the stuff it was stupid fucking weird i was like fuck it fine i'll just take the whole thing down fuck it (laughs) anyway welcome to the strange and unusual where we discuss the strange and unusual this is episode 165 of our series seeking out the weird the unexplained and the devious from around the world i'm roya and i'm casey and this may be an hour or so of science as we talk about a mysterious book of unknown origins, the Voynich Manuscript. I've not heard of this. I'm ready. I hadn't either. I'm not going to promise that it's going to be a very interesting episode because it is literally an episode about a book that no one knows anything about. Like, I nixed an episode <laughs> for next week because it was like, this is not that great. This is not that funny. This is not that interesting. I'm only interested in it because I'm a hardcore history nerd and I think it is just kind of adorable. But I don't think anybody else will get the joy out of it that I did. Except for maybe you because, you know, it's it was about the Persian royal succession. But I mean, you know what? 
we do this podcast for us. That's, that's fucking everybody, fair, man. <laughs> everybody that listens just listens because they decide to. But <laughs> we're here for us. But why continue talking about something that could bore people when I could talk about something like meat falling out of the air? That sounds like something I looked at almost doing. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on which one you're talking about, because I found a number of times that weird shit happened like that. Yeah, I found it was the one that I was thinking at was the one in the U.S. like over Arkansas, the or Kentucky Tennessee meat or whatever. Yeah. yeah, Kentucky. That's on my list. I have a list of weird shit that's not true crime because I figure <laughs> you do a lot of true crime, so I could balance this out by doing not as much true crime. Well, and I'm also trying to do less true crime because I don't know. I feel like shaking it up sometimes. Okay. And then we can we can do some big killer or something. Okay. Do like Bundy or Manson or something. We've been wanting to talk about Manson. We have. And I, yeah. Basically since the one. conception of this podcast, in fact. Yes. <laughs> Bundy um, can go fuck so, himself. I don't care about him. I think he's still interesting. I mean, I do, but like, I don't, everybody he talks sucks. about him. Look, they all suck. Everybody, everybody talks about Manson, too. But, but everybody talks about Manson, but there's always something new about Manson. Like, Ted Bundy yeah, was just true. a fucking psychopath who liked to do what he did. And then he yeah. died. Like, the end. <laughs> burn, Bundy, burn. Was what's it, the... Were, Friday, or Tuesday is Friday? Yeah, something, something like that. Something like that on the signs, yeah. There were some great signs outside of the execution, I will say. Yeah. As However you feel about death penalty, Ted Bundy's was something a little... Was, was a great performance. Yeah. Um, but as always, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram... We do dead name Twitter here. Yes, we do. <laughs> and Patreon at patreon.com patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, you can find all the information will be in further detail at the end of the episode and also in the show notes. Um, so you can copy paste if the hyperlinks work. You can hyperlink them. Uh, different things like that. And then, oh boy. Okay. I will, so. I will say Twitter is still twitter.com if you use the, oh, yeah. the website so it's not like you still send you still send tweets yeah like it still pops up as tweets yep so he's just he a he, fucking dumb he just yeah he just decided it's called x now and then everyone was like okay sure sweetie like respect my no my pronouns for my my website not if i respected him not nah. uh so we lose give him none none oh okay there's really not any I mean, unless, like, I wanted to get really, like, in the weeds about, like, the uh, vellum paper. Oh, and okay. Was it aliens? Yes. It wasn't. Oh. Like. <laughs> cool. All right. Um. So, I mean, I guess if I want to talk, um, I'm not sure I actually expanded, ended up going back and adding it in. Um. But our, our book finder was, um, a, uh revolutionary in poland oh. um and he ended up like getting sent to prison he was in like the gulags in Ser or in uh not serbia in um, siberia siberia yeah he uh escaped stole some like forged some passports made it to london he had a pretty wild life <laughs> leading up leading up to things but picture 1912 wilfred vonnet vonnet um, an antiquarian bookseller was going through his recently purchased books from Italy when he found a strange manuscript. This manuscript was old. Wait, 
it had how strange was it (laughs) really peculiar and we'll get into it (laughs) so this manuscript was old um it had 225 vellum pages with bright illustrations of plants animals creatures buildings astrological symbols and signs um uh, women in bathtubs there's a lot oh exciting um and all of these images were explained on the pages, too. At least we are to assume they are explained, as the words on the pages belong to no known or recorded language. This is the Zodiac speaking? <laughs> this is the Voynich Manuscript. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about the modern holders of the book first. So the people we know um, because of record held this book. Okay. Uh, because there is a... Quite the lengthy list of people who potentially held the book before Wilfred had his hands on it. Okay. So Wilfred was from Poland, like I said, and he was born on November 12th, 1865. Um, And his young life was spent being a radical Polish revolutionary. And then he, you know, like I said, got arrested, got thrown in the gulags, um, allegedly saw his wife, though that's a little bit of a maybe he was just like trying to embellish a romantic story. I mean... Or, like, the woman who would go on to become his wife, Ethel. Um, and he for- he escaped, uh, trekked through Serbia or Siberia, um, forged a couple of passports, managed to make it all the way to London um, to try, other- try to find other people that he knew from Poland who had escaped to London. Okay. Um, so he basically just, like, kind of settled down and became a book dealer. Like, that was just what he... He decided to to do with his time, um, and he did quite well at his job, and was even able to open up a branch in New York City too. So he had the store in London and the store in New York. New York City. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> he gets his salsa from New York City. <laughs> he gets his manuscript from New York City. Um, so in, like I said, in 1912, he bought 30 manuscripts from a Jesuit library in Italy, uh, which I found through a YouTube video was actually like a Vatican library. Mm. It was known, known, formerly known as like the Vatican secret library or Vatican library of secrets or something. Love that. Which is a little bit of a misnomer as it was just sort of like a translation from Italian that made it sound a lot more mysterious Mm, than it it is intended to be. Um, But there is some belief that these books were not supposed to be sold, that they were being sold under the table. Gotcha. Um, Love a a nasty nun. (laughs) Um, And so he started, basically, it, it took him years to broker this deal. Um, for these books, because this, uh, the, the Library of Secrets didn't open frequently. Obviously, we're dealing with information in, the, in 1912, so it's not like you can just shoot a text message to the priest and be like, hey, yo, when am I going to get those books? You know, it yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. So, what I saw, um, in the YouTube videos I was watching is that he actually traveled to the Vatican, to Vatican City, and picked up the books. And as he was traveling back to London, he started selling them like to people who were interested in them along the way. But when he got to the what would become the Voynich manuscript, he knew that whatever this was, it was something special. He couldn't read the language. He didn't recognize the language. He's a smart guy. You know, he's seen a lot of different languages working in antiquarian books. 
And um, so he he's like, I don't know what this is, but it's important. So I'm keeping it. And he yeah. refused to sell it to anyone who was interested in it. Uh, the most he could reason out of the hand-painted images what is, was that it definitely seemed more European than Asian in style. Um, he also discovered a letter folded in the front from a 17th century bohemian physical scientist named jo- Johann Marcus Marcy Akronland. <laughs> or Johannes Marcus Marcy Akronland. What a fucking weird name. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, so the letter was addressed in 1665 uh, to okay. the mathemat- mathematician uh, Athanius Critcher in Rome, presenting him the manuscript and suggesting that at one point it had been owned by a Holy Roman Emperor, Rudolph II. Rudolph II, reindeer. <laughs> Um, if all of this was true, the manuscript had quite the pedigree. Yeah. Or if you enjoy Antiques Roadshow, it had great provenance. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that reference slaps. laughs. Uh, so Voynich's own theory was that the work was made by medieval alchemist Roger Bacon and was written as a cipher to protect the information from prying eyes. So Roger Bacon was like this huge um, alchemist. He's thought to be like, basically, if there was someone who actually performed alchemy, it was him. Like his his studies, his research, his information, all has been continued to be studied to try to figure out how he was doing the stuff that he was allegedly doing at the time. Allegedly so doing big, Got it. Yeah, big, big deal. If this was actually Roger Bacon's big history deal. Um, So he left the book to his wife when he passed away in 1930. And in 1960, she bequeathed it to a friend who then almost immediately sold it. Of course. In 1961 to H.P. Krauss, who was another book dealer. Um, and, And Wilfred tried to find people to look at the book. And, like, try to decipher it, try to decode it, try to figure anything out. And no one really seemed interested in it, which was surprising to him because he was very interested in it. <laughs> um, so Krauss, who is the now the owner of the book, also tried to sell the book, but he could find no buyer for it. He was asking an astronomical amount of money for it, and that people think that that's probably why. Um, and he donated it in 1969, nice, <laughs> to uh, the Biennick Library at Yale, uh, where it still resides. Okay. So you can go, you can go to the library at Yale and see it. It's open and on display. Like you can't touch it or anything, obviously, but it's like open to a page. Um, and they're they're quite proud of it. Now, the historical owners are a little bit more of a mystery to some degrees, as history is often a little fuzzy on the details. So the th- so it's thought that the manuscript's earliest known owner was a man named John D, who was an astrologer from 1527 to 1612. Uh, his son actually wrote that John D owned, quote, a book containing nothing but hieroglyphics, which a book his father bestowed much time upon, but I could not hear what he could make out, make it out. Mm. But I could not hear that he could make it out. End quote. Um, so, and that's translated from ye old English written by someone who is basically like a step above illiterate. Got it. Uh, so <laughs> roll with me on that one. Yep, 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 yep. Um, but so Emperor Rudolf II of Germany, who ro- ruled from 1576 to 1612, 
purchased it from John D for 600 gold ducats. Ducats. Um, for anyone at home that's curious, <laughs> what? Which is the gold ducat from, from Deep Space Nine? Uh, somebody's going to get that reference. <laughs> It'll be Jordan. It'll be Jordan. <laughs> Um, so for anyone at home that's curious, one gold ducat would be worth roughly $150 based on gold prices now. What? One gold ducat. <laughs> well, I think, oh, I'm so sorry. You keep going, please. I don't know if it's, is it ducat? I don't, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> duke it? Um, duck it? Duke it? <laughs> duke Nukem? One gold old coin. <laughs> yep, thanks. Thank you. That helps. <laughs> would be would be worth roughly a hundred and fifty dollars based on current gold prices. Wow. Okay. So if my math is right, which no guarantees. Oh, I'm so ready for this. <laughs> the The manuscript was bought for roughly ninety thousand dollars in U.S. money. Yeah. But... So it was bought for six hundred. Yeah. And then yeah. Okay. Um. Though you know, like shit's a lot different now. <laughs> than it was then and this is also an emperor we're talking about who just has whatever mystery amount of money he decides he has and a new groove yep and sometimes uh new clothes new clothes yeah so the book appeared to be given to another lengthy name uh jacobus horkiki de tepines wow investigators of the manuscript were able to find where is this man from italy i imagine okay um investigators of the manuscript were able to find that information using ultraviolet light um where it was inscribed to a jacobi de tepinesque um on one of the pages but the the writing was so faded that you couldn't see it anymore with a naked eye Mm, you could only see it with ultraviolet um then the book arrived at some point to the hands of johannes marcus marcy of cronland and he gave it then to athanius critcher Around 1665 to 1666. Now, the book that John Dee poured time over and Wilfred Voynich um, couldn't get anyone to try to decipher has been getting a lot of attention over the years. Um, so a little bit of information about physically about the book. Okay. Um, so it's been determined that the vellum pages were produced in the first half of the 15th century and the inks and paints are consistent with production practices in the 15th to the 16th century. Um, so samples of the manuscript were radiocarbon dated at the University of Arizona in 2009, and the results were consistent across all samples, dating the parchment between 1404 and 1438. Okay. And vellum was um, common then? Yeah. Okay. Vellum would have been the, the most They're, common. Yeah. yeah. Like as far as a nice paper went. Paper. Yeah. Loosely. Get into it. Um, protein testing in 2014 confirmed that the parchment was calfskin or vellum, and multispectral analysis indicated that it had not been written on before becoming the manuscript. Okay. So this was not recycled paper. This was brand new. Got it. The quality of the parchment was average, but it was prepared with so much care that the skin side was almost indistinguishable from the flesh side. Uh, I managed to dodge a bit of a rabbit hole on vellum origins, Thank you. but the difference, but di- the difference between the two sides is the hair side often bears marks of the follicles and can be quite yellow, and the flesh side tends to be smoother and whiter, which is the preferred side for writing on. Mm-hmm. 
So basically what they're saying on this one is that the two sides were virtually indistinguishable from one another because it was oh, wow. prepared that, so well with yeah. so much care. Okay. Um, the binding and covers are goatskin and are not original to the book. Um, but the insect holes on the first and last pages suggest that the original cover was likely wood, which would have been standard for the time standard period. Time, yeah. Um, there's discoloration on the edges, which lends itself to having a uh, tanned leather inside cover. So that would, um, over time, just discolor the edges of the pages that it would come in contact with, and then it would bleed through to the other pages. Mm-hmm. Um, the book contains large drawings and charts that are colored with various paints. Um, using a polarized light microscopy, it was determined that a quill pen and iron gall ink were used for the text and figure outlines. Okay. In 2009, an energy dispersive x-ray spectroscopy revealed that the inks contained carbon, iron, sulfur, potassium, and calcium with trace amounts of copper and zinc. Um, it did not show the presence of lead... Uh, which would have been pretty common at yeah. the time, which was confusing to them. Uh, but once the x-ray diffraction was used, it was identified to have potassium lead oxide, potassium hydrogen sulfate, and sigenite in one of the samples tested. Um, all of this basically to say that the drawing inks and the text inks appear to be from the same time. Yes. Um, the color was applied to the ink outline, though, possibly on a later date, and it wasn't done particularly well. Oh, okay. Um, This guy can't color inside the line. (laughs) Got it. Uh, yeah, and like many manuscripts of the style and era, the colors are limited to blue, white, red, brown, and green. Um, the colors were tested, were all tested, and with the previously talked about equipment, and the following was discovered. So the blue paint proved to be ground azurite with minor traces of copper oxide cuprite. The white paint is likely a mixture of egg white and calcium carbonate. The green paint is tentatively characterized by copper and copper chlorine resonate. The crystalline material might be an actamite. Um, or some other copper chlorine compound. Analysis of the red-brown paint indicated red ochre, which would have been super common, and the crystal phases hematite and iron sulfide, with minor amounts of lead sulfide and palmerite, um, are possibly present in the red-brown paint. The pigments used were deemed inexpensive, which is weird because of how much care was done in the preparation of the pages. Like, that would have been expensive vellum. Yeah, like, this this book is full. It's like top to bottom filled with words or pictures. And we don't know what any of it says? Nope. That's cool. (laughs) Helpful, aliens. So Jorge Stolfi, a computer scientist from the University of Campinas, Campinas? uh, pointed- (laughs) Yeah, it's- Campinas. Gross. Campinas? Campinas. Okay. I liked mine better. (laughs) I'm sure you did. Uh, but he pointed out that in some areas of the text and drawings have been modified and retouched with oh. a darker ink over the fainter earlier script. So just basically there are some areas that were faded and someone at some point went through with a darker ink and corrected it, but didn't change it. Okay. 
Like, they didn't, like, write a new word over it. It was basically just like, oh, no, my pin didn't work. Let me go back and write over that again. Yeah, let me fix this. Yeah. Um, but it's it was it's virtually impossible for them to tell if it happened at the time the rest of the writing was done or if it was done at a later date by someone trying to maybe protect the integrity of the manuscript. Right. Um, every page contains text in mostly unidentified language. Um, yeah, there's some extraneous writings in Latin script, and um, some dispute that the characters represent certain distinct characters. However, a script of 20 to 25 letters would account for virtually all of the written language. So it's the the symbols are repeating, like they are, they would lend themselves to being letters. Um, but we have, no one has figured out what the letters represent. Gotcha. Um, so except for a couple of rare characters, um, sorry. Yeah. So 20 to 25 characters account for virtually all of the written language on the pages, except for a couple of very rare characters that only show up once or twice in the entire 225 pages. So there's some letter that's like X. For us mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you know shows up once in a while but not not constantly not super frequently um or z you know like so there's no identifiable punctuation either cool um the text is written in single single column in the body of the page with a right margin and sometimes they it's there's stars in the left margin okay. and they it comes in later, but they think that that is the only actual, like, punctuation, and it's to separate one recipe from another recipe. So there's a star, and then a new recipe starts, so, and then it will go on, and then there's another star, which indicates a new recipe has started. The aliens left us a cookbook. No, probably not. Probably not, but potentially. Maybe. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna choose to believe that thing. <laughs> okay. Um, so... There are also charts and labor labors. There are also charts and labels associated with the illustrations. There does not appear to be any delay between characters and pen movement, and the pen movements are smooth. Okay. So anybody who's looked at this for translating it or trying to figure it out is indicating that these are likely not written in code. Whatever because this then person you would be, like stopping and making you would be sure referencing. Yeah, you would be referencing some sort of codex. Um whoever wrote this was fluent in whatever language this is um a few (laughs) a few words outside of the text are outside that we know because they are a different language are the name jacob atepens jacoby atepens uh dare mustiel uh which is a drawing next to a nude man um which is a high german phrase for a widow's share Mm. and it's sort of like written in there um the astronomical section um has the names of 10 months from march to december written in latin uh and the the first person to try to crack the language was william r friedman in the 1940s um and we'll get into all the various people who have tried to crack the code on this okay um, so the text consists of 170,000 characters split with spaces, dividing the text into about 38,000 groups of varying lengths to indicate words. Over 8,000 of those words are unique. Damn. 
That's a lot. Um, they s- mm, that's a lot. Yeah. They seem to follow phonological and orthographic laws, like certain characters appearing in every word, like vowels in English. Like or e. some yeah. Or some characters never following others, like Q. Um some letters may be doubled or even tripled, and some aren't. So you can have things like a double E or, you know, what would be like two G's, like in dragging. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, That's what word has two G's? What word has two G's? Does it? Yeah, it should. Yeah. Um, I had to type it out just to make sure I wasn't talking about my ass. Because <laughs> I didn't have that written down in my notes. <laughs> really funny if I didn't know how to spell worse than I already don't Dragging know how to spell. Dragging actually has three G's. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so Stephen Von Felt, a, or Stefan Von, Von Felt, studied the distribution of the letters um, and things that can be characterized as rhythmic resonance or alliteration, and found that the language in the manuscript is more similar to Mandarin Chinese pinyin than any text from any European book. Wow. What? It doesn't look doesn't look particularly Chinese. no. It doesn't look particularly Asian at all. It actually, to me, and we talk. It gets into it. I think one of the people talks about it. It looks like a uh, a weird distilled Arabic to me. Interesting. Okay. It looks like if you took Arabic and you didn't have the letters connect, like you know how Arabic words all look yeah. like like What's the that? letters all look like that it's connected, like the Sanskrit sort of. Yeah. 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 But like. But, like, that each thing just is its own letter Weird. and is separate. Okay. Like, how our our words are written, but with, like, the characters uh, from, like, Arabic or Farsi or something like that. Got it. Um, so, however, the numerical differences between the two languages of Mandarin, Chinese, and European are la- larger than the uh, Voynichis in European languages. Yeah. Yes. It is known as Voynichis. Wow. <laughs> uh, within the text, um, practically no words have fewer than two letters or more than ten. Okay. Um, few repetitions occur among the labels attached to the illustrations, and there are instances where the same word appears up to three times in a row. Okay. Um, so there are words that only differ by, differ by one letter, causing the single substitution alphabet attempts to yield babble-like text. Like, it just, anything that they put these through to try to get, like, a computer, a decoder, anybody who, like, does this as a job has not been able to figure out a representation of letters to these characters. Hmm. Um, Elizabeth Friedman, a cryptanalyst who uh, <laughs> I kind of have love for after reading some of the things that she said about people who have tried, uh, described attempts, basic, basically described attempts at trying to just like make this simple and say like, yeah, it's just a, a situation where you just, it's a single substitution. This letter stands for A and this letter stands for B and this letter stands for C. She said that uh, such attempts are, quote, doomed to utter frustration. Wow. End quote. Well, I mean, and um, you can get a computer to do that now. Like, yeah, and, and there's not been a computer, like, nothing I could find has anybody with, like, 
solid backing behind them of like other cryptanalysts or decoders or scientists or anyone saying like yes this 100 percent or 98 percent we're sure this is what this says it makes sense everybody everybody is trying to make the words fit the code they want it to and that's the problem that a lot of people run into on this okay yep checks out so in 2014, a team led by Diego Amancio, um published a study using statistical methods to analyze the relationships of the words in the text. Rather than trying to find the meaning, they looked for connections and clusters of words. He claimed to identify the text's keywords and concluded that Voynich, the Voynich systems are similar to other known books. This is an actual language. This is not random gibberish. While the goal of the approach wasn't to decipher the manuscript, it did provide keywords that might help down the road, but people are still trying to figure out where these keywords kind of fit into things. Um, so linguists, uh, the, linguists Claire Bowren and Luke, Luke Linderman have applied further statistical methods to the manuscript, comparing it to other languages. So character sequences in languages are measured using a metric called H2. Um, Natural languages tend to have an H2 between 3 and 4, but Voynichese has a much more predictable character sequence of H2 around 2. So by the standard of understanding, this should be an easy language to understand if you know what it means. So this is not a yeah, but this is not a so this is not a complex language based on the the writing of it. It's just that we can't figure out what it means. <laughs> cool. But if we were cool. able to, it would be an easy language to learn. Um so this further dismisses theories around the manuscript that it's just gibberish. It is either a natural language or a constructed language. So this is either something that someone grew up with or developed themselves. Mm-hmm like Tolkien developed Elvish. Um, So they went on to further state that the Voynich manuscript is not consistent with the use of a substitution cipher or a polyalphabetic cipher. So like the two primary ciphers Mm -hmm. are out. Um, There is also a theory that multiple scribes may have been involved in writing the initial book um, as the... So the the writing in the... The writing and language in the herbal and pharmaceutical parts seems different than the Balian logical section and the astrological section. Okay. Um, And the illustrations are used to divide the manuscript into six different sections. So there's herbal, and each page displays one or two plants and a few paragraphs of texts. And none of the plants are immediately identifiable. Like, there's, like, two plants out of all of them that people are like, we're pretty sure it's these. And everything else is like, we don't know what this is. God, you are telling me it's not aliens, and I am really <laughs> feeling like the aliens are are the answer here. Well, we might get into it. We might? We might. Okay. So, astronomical. Um, so this section contains diagrams suggestive of astronomy or astrology with suns, moons, and stars. Uh, one series of diagrams depicts the conventional sim- symbols of the zodiac constellations, like two fish, a bull, a bow and arrow, 
blah, 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 the standard fare. It was the Zodiac. <laughs> uh, yeah, the little kitties bouncing off the bus. <laughs> um, there are also 30 female figures arranged in two or more concentric bands that are uh, partially nude, holding a star or having stars attached to them. Uh, the last two pages have been lost at some point, which are, ironically, Aquarius and Capricornus. <laughs> They're missing. Well, what the fuck? <laughs> I got to that and I was like, that's hilarious. That's fucked that up. Makes- I want to know what my <laughs> little thing was. My, your little guy? My little guy. Uh, well, I mean, I guess little lady. <laughs> um, some of the diagrams are even on fold-out pages. Like the... They made a joke made, about like, a fucking centerfold for this. Yeah, they they made a joke on the video I watched that the book had centerfolds, like literally. Yeah, there were just pages of vellum that would fold out once and then fold out again with these big elaborate drawings of like castles connected via like islands and volcanoes and like it's a whole thing. Angel is a centerfold. Does a song. Um, and like we're kind of insinuating, or Casey is specifically, there's also some suggestion that this book came from some outside information, uh, as the constellations appear to be drawn from a different view. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> as if the person was not on Earth when they drew it. Yeah. However, the majority of people rule out aliens. Nah. Um, because the overall art in the book is not very good, <laughs> and that's and that's why good at doodling, and that's why they're uh, suggesting that it kind of makes sense that the constellations wouldn't look quite right because the artist was uh, not very skilled and or was lazy. <laughs> look, which is relatable. Yeah, it was like just because that means the aliens are not, you know fucking picasso out here do i mean picasso's paintings or drawings probably wouldn't have been too great they have eyes and weird spots but what i'm saying is was like just because just because he's not rembrandt yeah he's not fucking god he's an alien he's relatable have you never watched star trek they're relatable they're just people like us from a different planet so maybe they just suck at drawing stop coming at my aliens okay who else would have done this well, I mean, there is the theory that uh, Wilfred Voynich did it. But I thought it was carbon dated. Yeah, but the theory is still out there. It's been pretty fairly ruled out because of all the carbon dating and stuff. But there are some people who still theorize that it is just, if it is not a modern forgery, it is an antique forgery. I think aliens sound more plausible. Okay. So the next section of the book is the bail. <laughs> Balean-logical section, which is the study of bathing. Oh! Anybody didn't know. Um, So it is a dense, continuous text with drawings mostly showing small nude women, some with crowns, some bathing in pools or tubs. Um, It's it also forms an integrated design as well. So, like, the waters or pipes will flow between the different pages. Oh, that's fun. Um, so they'll be, like, connected. And there's also one particular um, page that a lot of people say looks very... A lot of people read uterus into it. 
um, because there's like this pool that's in the middle with women in it. Mm -hmm. And then coming from the two sides of the pool are tubes that end in like balls at the end, like ovaries. ovaries. And then there's a tube down from the pool into another pool, like the birth canal. Yeah. And so there's, um, there is some suggestion that the book might be intended actually for women, which would be unusual for the time. Yeah. Some bitch was starting feminism in a secret code. <laughs> Maybe. She was like, we're going to learn this language, ladies. We're going to pretend we can't speak to the men anymore. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's I like wish... that TikTok trend of like putting the, the peel off face mask on. Yeah. And then just like trying to convince your boyfriend that once a, once a month women molt yep. their skin Love off. Love that. Love that TikTok trend. <laughs> um, so the cosmological, so it has circular diagrams, sometimes with fold out pages. Um, and like I was saying, one contains a map or diagram with nine islands containing castles and one that might be a volcano. And they haven't found like an area that consists of nine islands with castles with a volcano um so pharmaceutical is the next section so this is labeled drawings of isolated plant parts apothecary jars and other things ranging in style from mundane to fantastical okay and the last section is recipes so this is full pages of text broken into pages each marked with a star in the left margin um there are five pages of just text in the book so only five and at least 28 pages are missing from the manuscript fully um the intention behind the manuscript is somewhat of a mystery while it seems to be a book about maybe early modern medicine the illustrations and puzzling details have left people scratching their heads the first section is herbal but contains plants that don't appear to actually exist uh, only two of them so far have been identified with reasonable certainty. Uh, other ones appear to be composites of plants put together, like the root structure from one, leaves from another, and flowers from a third, like hmm. making frankenplants. I kind of love that. <laughs> um, astrological signs are all. Astrological signs also played a prominent role in the lives of people in medieval times. Uh, herb gathering, bloodletting, and other medical procedures could have been interpreted from the information, but it's purely speculative at this point. So there's some people who kind of joke that maybe this was like the medieval uh, Poor Richard's Almanac, like kind of, uh, or Farmer's Almanac now, right. of like, you know, the weather and when is appropriate to do certain things, when do you want to gather certain herbs, when do you want to do um different aspects of things based on the astrological symbols and also here are some recipes where you can use these plants and these plant parts to create things to help you with your i don't know your uterus like i don't know i don't know the connections things to put in your bathtub to help your vagina <laughs> like hey i'll take it <laughs> 10 tips <laughs> yep to have a better orgasm <laughs> it's just cosmo this is cosmo yeah <laughs> it's alien cosmo there's also a dragon on one page. And no one oh, hell there. yeah. It's a really cute little dude. Um, so it is currently not considered to have been written by the alchemist Roger Bacon. Oh, okay. Um, so the theories went around that it was a hoax in the 1600s designed to make a lot of money on the book. Because remember, 
Alchemy. Um, well, and John D got uh, Emperor Rudolph II mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. pay ninety grand for it, potentially. Yep. Um, and some, like I said, some considered that Voynich himself may have made it up, but the dating of the book pretty well rules that out to me. I don't know how he would have gotten his hands on paint and ink and traveled back in time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, a lot of people have claimed to decipher it, but no one has actually been confirmed as doing so. Um, so William Romain Newbold attempted in 1921 but he was largely debunked almost immediately he considered that the markings were greek shorthand and he but he claimed to translate entire paragraphs of it but no one has read it uh joseph martin freely liar (laughs) uh joseph martin freely in 1943 posited that it was highly abbreviated medieval latin um Lionel Strong in 1947 claimed that it was written by a 16th century English author named Anthony Ashcombe, uh, but notes after his death indicate that he was making the characters fit his own narrative. Yeah. Um, Robert Brabham, Brabow, Brumbow, Brumbow. Wow, we went on a journey there. (laughs) Yeah, we sure did. Uh, but. In 1978, he claimed that it was a forgery intended to fool Emperor Rudolph II into purchasing it. Mm. Uh, John Stojko, also in 1978, claimed that the manuscript was a series of letters in vowelless Ukrainian. Um, This has also been criticized because the method of decryption was too loose. And there was no connection between the words and the images. So he was saying, like, this word means this, but it, like, didn't relate to the picture of the flower on the page in any way. Hmm. Um, Stephen Bax, in 2014, suggested a translation for ten proper word, or sorry, ten proper nouns and fourteen letters from the manuscript using techniques similar to how the translations were made for the Egyptian hieroglyphics. He claimed that the manuscript was simply about nature in a Near Eastern or Asian language, but no full translation was made before he passed away in 2017. I saw some things that was kind of pointing out that he might have been the closest, Mm -hmm. and it was just, it was really unfortunate that he passed away before he could finish his work on it. Uh, Nicholas Gibbs. You would think that he had fucking notes and shit that somebody could pass on. Yeah, maybe he was still working on it. So, I mean, it was 2014 he was working on it and he passed away in 2017. And I didn't see what he passed away from. So maybe it was something that was wearing on him over the years. Yeah. Slowed him down, you know? Because you can't, like, translate a fucking manuscript if you were, like, Lou Gehrig's or something. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Gibbs in 2017 claimed that it was an abbreviated Latin and declared that it was mostly a mostly plagiarized guide to women's health. Uh, so Cosmo. Yeah. <laughs> Medieval Cosmo. Uh, Lisa Fajan Davis refutes that, su- refutes that suggestion, though. Um, she's the director of the Medieval Academy of America and suggested that his decipherment, quote, doesn't result in Latin that makes sense, end quote. <laughs> I love the women in this, in this little, they're always just like, no, so you stupid, that's not it. Like, love it. Tell these uh, fucking men what's up. <laughs> Greg Kondrak also took a shot at it in 2017, suggesting that the language was mostly Hebrew, but encoded using alphagrams, uh, so alphabetically ordered anagrams. Um, Mm. Experts on medieval manuscripts, however, were not convinced. (laughs) Amit Arctic in 2018 claimed that the script was Old Turkic. Um, 
written like poetry, which is why it was um, sort of formed in a way that was unusual, like the the flow of the words and lack of punctuation. Um, the words would be written using a phonomic orthography, meaning that the words would be spelled as the author heard them. However, his submission to the journal uh, Digital Philography was rejected in 2019. Oh. Gerard Cheshire gave it a shot in 2019, claiming that it was written in calligraphic proto-romance. He said that he translated it in two weeks using a combination of, quote, lateral thinking and ingenuity. Oh, fuck you, dude. He suggested that it was a manuscript about, quote, a compendium of information on herbal remedies, therapeutic bathing, and astrological readings, end quote. Which, like, obviously. Yeah, no shit. Very clearly, that's what it is. Thanks, dude, for all the clear (laughs) information that you just gave. Yeah. Um, There were passages containing descriptions of medicinal plants, passages that focus on female physical and mental health, reproduction, and parenting. You know what that guy... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on this. You know what that guy... The vibes I get from that guy? Did you see that... The the voicemail going around that was like, I'm uh, very rich, I'm very smart, and I'm very good in bed, and you should really call me back. And I was like, that's what that guy just gave me. So what that guy gave me... What that guy gives me is like a white man with a podcast. Yes. You know? That guy is Joe Rogan, for sure. There's another one that I've been seeing around that's the guy that's like, you want to, uh, a wife should be able to say no to her husband because she doesn't feel like it. Well, what if I just don't feel like protecting you when someone breaks into the house? I have to do that. God, and then I love that guy who commented or stitched it or whatever. He was like, I have to protect you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that guy gives big, like, uh, I'm Dimitri. We met the other day. Like, that's all I could think of when you started saying that. Like, Like, definitely, definitely, like, has told a woman, like, she wasn't even that pretty anyway. Yes. She rejected it. Yes. That's his energy. Thanks, my guy. <laughs> we nailed but, you in like three seconds. We figured out exactly who you were. Cool. But don't worry. Our our girl Lisa Fagan Davis. Excellent. Bring it. <laughs> Back again, denouncing the interpretation, stating that the paper was, quote, just more aspirational, circular, self-fulfilling nonsense. Fuck yes, bitch. Um, when, when she was approached for a comment about it, she said, quote, as with the most would-be Voynich interpreters, the logic of this proposal is circular and aspirational. He starts with the theory about the particular series of glyphs might le- might mean, usually because the word's proximity to an image that he believes he can interpret. He then investigates any number of medieval romance language dictionaries until he finds a word that seems to suit his theory. Then he argues that because he is founded in a romance language found a romance language word that fits his hypothesis that his hypothesis must be right wow his quote translations from what is essentially gibberish and an amalgam of multiple languages are themselves aspirational rather than being actual translations end quote get it sister so as it stands currently we don't know who wrote the manuscript what it means or why it exists Man, I'm so glad we talked about this. It answered so many questions. <laughs> Thank you. 
I I I really like the alien theory, but I'm I'm very partial to like the people being like it was aliens, and then like the historians being like, no, it was just a really bad artist. <laughs> he just really was not good at what he did. Art subjective. <laughs> it's pretty rough though, <laughs> even for a manuscript of the times. Um. Maybe, but yeah, it's... maybe this guy was like, this was his passion project, and he just didn't have the cash to pay an illustrator. Well, and I'm wondering, too, like, you kind of mentioned it sort of as a, a little bit of a joke aside, but what if this was written by women? And, yeah. like, that's why it is, like, encoded. It is a different language. I do think it's interesting the, um, who was it? Um, Amit Arctic who claimed that it was Old Turkish. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I I thought it was interesting that using a phonemic orthography, so it's like words being spelled how the person interpreted they sounded, Mm -hmm. instead of actually a written language. So we might, if that is accurate, which would make sense for the time period, especially depending on where the literacy of the person and where they were, Yeah, that it might never be able to be translated because it might not actually attribute to any known words. Yeah. It's like, you know, quite and quit and quiet <laughs> in English mm-hmm. are all one letter different. Yep. And how you would spell them phonetically would all be very different. Yeah. And so it makes me wonder if it wasn't something that was a, like, a passed down verbal story or verbal information Mm -hmm. that someone had enough knowledge of letters to write, but then wrote it in a way that is phonetic versus how the words would actually be spelled. Right. Which is why it looks, you look at it and it looks like a language. Like, you can look at it and you're like, oh yeah, these are words. I can see that these are words. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it means. And I've literally never seen this language before, you know? Yeah. But it looks similar to other languages that exist. Which makes me think that it's someone who maybe had some education, but not enough on how to put it in directly into practice. Right. You know? Like, knew the alphabet, but not how to string words together the way that they should have been to write the language down. I mean, there are people who still can't do that in a language that is like researched and yeah. understood fully. So Yeah. I hope when you go to pull the graphics for it you find the cute little dragon. I will try. He's just a little guy. I'll do my best. He's just sitting up on his little butt. He's Oh well. What so what do you so you, you don't think it's aliens? I don't think it's aliens because I feel like if it were aliens, it wouldn't be written in all earthly materials. That's fair. Like, why would an what if alien they were, come? What if they were like an exchange student? Oh, just like a like a person on a spaceship. Yeah, or, or like an a, alien. An alien Earth. got implanted here and was like writing their school project. <laughs> maybe. And maybe that's why then the they art probably sucks. and they failed then because they didn't turn in their homework. They didn't turn in their homework, and now they're like grounded forever. Yeah, my human ate my homework. Yep. I stole it. Put I it think in the Vatican. I'm putting a stamp on it. That's what happened. So thanks for joining okay. us today as we discuss the strange manuscript. That's it.
That's all the sentence says. And <laughs> now all. we want to hear from you. Send your stories, your questions, and your feedback to strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through those a little more easily. Uh, do you have a theory about the strange manuscript of the legend? manuscript? Uh, do you have, do you know anybody who's tried yeah, to translate it? Have you translated it? Are you going to tell me that it is about herbalism and women's hygiene and recipes to cook your man? To cook your man or to cook for your man? Yes. <laughs> is it goodbye, can... Earl, or is it <laughs> yum, Earl? <laughs> it just makes me think of that. Uh, it's an old Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors episode where the aliens abduct them and mm. Lisa finds a book that's like how to cook humans. And then they blow the dust off of it. And it's how to cook four humans. Love that. And then she blows the dust off of it again. It says how to cook 40 humans. Yeah, I think that's what this is. <laughs> you can fo- also find us on Instagram and threads at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast. Our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange and Unusual podcast and look for our logo. I am also streaming on Twitch pretty regularly. Um, that is twitch.tv slash Roy Rampage. If you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strange unusual. Uh, we have a Discord that you can get access to. We have... Um, monthly polls when Roya remembers to give Casey her uh, options. Mm-hmm. We have some old bonus episodes. We have a, a brand new drunk episode of uh, The Coming Storm. The the romance. That's, that's a title <laughs> for it. Is that with a U? I went, I went through so many. I don't remember what I put. It's something like that. It's like the storm's coming. Or... Yeah, that's gross. Yeah, it was, yeah. I was pretty proud of it. <laughs> Um, but we also understand that right now times are tough and shit's expensive. And so if you are unable to financially, um, back us or however you become a Patreon, we understand, or patron, we understand. Um, if you can, though, we just ask that you like, share, subscribe, rate, review, do all that kind of stuff. Um, if you leave a five-star review, I will read it on air and we really appreciate them. And it's nice to hear from you guys. Uh, yeah, it's Here Comes the Storm. I did not spell it with a U, but I really uh. wanted to. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, until next time. And actually, time. with that said, uh, we will be taking a week off while oh, yeah. I switch to night shift. So we will not see you next week, but we should be back the week after. So with a bright eyed and chaotic Casey, I'm sure. Oh, is really so good at this? Yeah, it's gonna be great. We'll give it a shot. It's always it's always great. Night shift Casey is is chaotic, more chaotic Night- than day shift Casey. Night shift Casey is feral. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> well, bye, bye.